Hello, and welcome to the Rothwell Center for Teaching and Learning Excellence podcast. Our mission here at RCTLE is to empower faculty members in their pursuits of professional growth through diverse offerings for the universal goal of student success. Each episode will offer insight into best teaching practices, new resources, and interesting people here at Embry-Riddle Worldwide. We hope you will find our show to be helpful and enlightening. Happy listening! Today we are joined by Jim Jurowitz, an adjunct faculty member in the College of Arts and Sciences. Jim has worked for Embry-Riddle Worldwide in multiple capacities since the year 2000. Over the years, he has been a campus director, a director of academics, and a full-time faculty member who has developed multiple courses for the university. Jim retired from his full-time faculty position in 2019, but continues to teach the values and ethics course in our online and EcoVision modalities. With 42 years of teaching experience, Jim has developed many great strategies for engaging students in meaningful discussions, and I am grateful that he took the time to discuss these insights with us. Without further ado, please enjoy Jim Jurowitz. You've always stuck out as someone who's really great at discussions. You're very honest in your discussions, and I think your topic really lends itself to that. I'm eager to hear your thoughts about that. But for our first question, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up with Embry-Riddle? Yeah, sure. Been married, happily married 43 years, uh, raised two grown children. My, actually, our, our daughter, our oldest daughter, she's a teacher, so she kind of she follows in her father's footsteps. And I'm also a very proud grandparent. I attended Temple University back uh, in, what was that, 78, 79. Then, uh, yes, I am an Eagles fan, Philadelphia Eagles fan. Chapman University in California and Stockton uh, University near the New Jersey Shore. And I am a beach bum. Prior military, 21 years, uh, was also, a lot of people don't know this, but I was also a licensed professional counselor. Worked in emergency rooms doing psychiatric interviews for committals and stuff. So I was doing all that before I came to Embry-Riddle. And then in uh, 2000, November 2000, Tom Hinkle, Dr. Tom Hinkle interviewed me. He hired me as a uh, campus director. And he said, how do I know you're going to stay? I said, I promise I'll stay for at least two years. And I didn't think I was going to make it two years, but I did. Turned out to be the best job I have ever had, that, that campus director job. Uh, And then I went over to what they call the old dark side back then uh, as a director of academics, you know, uh, working with faculty at the campus level. And after all the rewards and everything, I ended up as full-time faculty member for about nine or 10 years. And in 2019, I kind of retired. uh, And then uh, I've been doing adjunct work ever since. So that's a little bit about me. That's great. That's great. I love that you have such a diverse background with Embry-Riddle. You've kind of done it all and seen it from all um, different perspectives. Really cool. The courses you teach, you teach Humanities 330, right? I teach, well, I, yes, I teach Humanities 330 is the primary class that I teach Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Um, and, And I'll be honest with you, I used to teach a lot of classes, but it's a lot of work staying current for a lot of classes. Yeah. So I kind of got smart and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to kind of knock it down to Humanities 330 Values and Ethics. Although I did teach Social 300, Marriage and Family, which was just a, a wonderful course. I love that course. I developed that course years ago. And then believe it or not, I developed Management 371 Leadership with Dr. Tom Hinkle many yeah. 
years ago. So, uh, but for to answer your question, yes, the course I teach the most now is Humanities 330. Now, you do consistently engage your students in discussions in the online forum and in Eagle Vision. You do typically teach Eagle Vision sessions as well. So from your perspective, what is the importance of having meaningful content discussions with students within your course? Well, it's easy in a way. I give students uh, the opportunity to link their classroom activities and what we're discussing, whether it be online or Eagle Vision, it really doesn't matter to real life experience. Students can read, they can learn, and they can memorize everything in a textbook or in an online course or in all the modules. But in my humble opinion, if they cannot apply what they learn uh, in their lives, then the course content and learning in a way may be pointless. So I, I do use a student-focused approach. For example, the Marriage and Family 330 class, I like to use assignments that make students think about their lives. For example, I developed a, they had to write either an autobiographical paper or a family story or write their own eulogy. Now, when you think about it, well, these are easy. Well, you sit down and try to write your own eulogy or you try to write your family story. And it can be a, a very challenging assignment, but they're also very reflective assignments. And the same with the discussion forums and in the classroom uh, discussions. I use open-ended questions. Uh, I like to get the students to share their personal experiences. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking about values and ethics or marriage and family or even leadership for that matter. The, the hardest part is getting students to share their personal experiences that aren't too personal, but yet they're comfortable sharing them in the class. So uh, I'll give you an example, a couple of examples. One comes from mine in the uh, values and ethics class. You know, one of the discussions we have is on euthanasia. And we talk about different things like not only euthanasia in general, but, you know, what's wrong with euthanizing elderly people, people who have lived a long life, they don't really want to live any longer. So what's wrong with that? Or what's wrong with, say, having a five or 10-year-old child who has terminal cancer, who doesn't want to suffer anymore, having a say in whether or not they should continue uh, treatment when they know that you know the treatment is going to be terminal. So again, that's those are the kinds of things. In the marriage and family class, uh, just one other example is I'll have students talk about bullying, uh, their own personal experiences growing up bullying. Uh, and you'd be surprised how much in these topics that students are willing to share and engage. So you can see when you can get them to bring these experiences and these discussions and bring them back to what's going on in their lives or what has happened in their lifetime, uh, it's very easy to get them to talk. Yeah, yeah. And there's a couple of things you said that I think really stuck out. One, I think, especially in an ethics course or even like a marriage and family course, there's a lot of quote unquote controversial topics and you're really providing, it sounds like a safe space for them to share their thoughts and their experiences on these controversial topics without that judgment. Yes. And if I can, let me say this. I tell my students from the very beginning, especially in the values and ethics class, that I am not there to teach them what to think. I am there to teach them how to think. And I like to use the example of the two Supreme Court justices that are both deceased, uh, Scalia 
and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. They yeah. were opposite ends of the Supreme Court, but they were the best of friends. And so no matter how different they were, they could have open discussions, whether they agreed, disagreed or whatever. But at the end of the day, they were respectful. They listened. They processed what the other person had to say. And I think that's a big part of what's missing in our country today. So I like to get the students to do that. And I think they really enjoy that when, it, when we had those discussions. That's a skill I think a lot of people are lacking. And I, I think it's great that you're able to provide that space for trial and error. Like, let's let's try this out. Let's talk about these things and let me help you discuss this in a logical and informed way. I, I can't change their opinions on issues, but what I can do is open their mind to think about other opinions and then maybe think about whether their opinion needs to be changed or modified. So The other thing that you said that stood out is that you are providing them a space to apply what they're learning in the content to current events or what's happening in real life. And I think that that's great. Us at RCTLE, we're always encouraging instructors to bring in real life scenarios into their classes because those are the situations that students are really going to make the connection and realize that their education here does have application outside of the university. That is a strategy that we want to emphasize, you know, to everybody listening, that that's any subject, not just humanities, that they can bring in and use with their students as well. What is your process or your strategy for engaging students in discussions online versus Eagle Vision? I guess we can kind of combine them both. Is the strategy different in engaging them online versus in person? Because Eagle Vision, you are sitting in in front of them, but virtually. Yeah. uh, So let me discuss the first part about the Mm -hmm. online and then the Eagle Vision. I kind of look at them as the same, but there are some obviously some differences. So again, for me, it all comes down to how can I personalize the discussion and make it applicable. A big part of engagement process really in online is for me to engage with the students and to share who I am and my experiences without trying to push my beliefs or my opinions. I have to set the example in the online. I am in, when I teach online courses, I am in those courses every single day. I mean, I might miss a day or two out of a whole term, but for the most part, I'm in there every day reading and commenting on my student posts. And whenever I can try to get students to engage with each other, I try to do that by mentoring them, by directing a student and their classmates to have conversations to try to connect one conversation to the other. I like to bring in, if it's appropriate, I have short little video clips. You know, I have hundreds of video clips on the different topics. And if it lends itself in that online discussion, I may post a short video clip or something that's appropriate just to give them something else to think about. I like to bring in current news events and research articles into the discussion when I can. I post a ton of announcements. Matter of fact, I have some people tell me I post too many announcements. But, you know, that those announcements are reminders. Those are summations of what we discussed that week. And I try to link that from one week to the next, if I can, uh, as well as what's in the module. Now, you mentioned about the Eagle Vision. And I, I, I'll say this. I love teaching Eagle Vision. Uh, matter of fact, I prefer 
to teach all my courses in Eagle Vision, although I do have to teach the occasional online course. Yeah. But uh, I teach the Eagle Vision because I think the Eagle Vision classes are just like a regular classroom course. The only difference is one's virtual and the other one is there's a physical classroom. So generally, my my mode is for the first five minutes or so, I go over all the reaction tools with the students and, you know, the green checks, the red X's. Because there's nothing worse in an Eagle Vision class is having a discussion or asking a question and waiting a minute or two for the student to respond. So right up front, I let them know that if we're going to have this and if this is really going to be a, a good exchange, you need, when you go to make your response, you need to key the microphone right away, not take a minute or two to get around to it. So to me, that's, uh, that's important. I realize there's going to be times where we're discussing something and there might be a pause because students are sometimes processing, you know, what, what they want, to, you know, what they're hearing and everything. And I, I'm yeah. okay with those pauses. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of instructors are going to be interested to hear kind of how you structure these discussions in Eagle Vision. Are there participation expectations? Do you expect all students to participate? Are you calling on certain students? How does that usually go? Well, I don't like to call on students only because I, I think that it puts them in a, a position where they have to respond. So generally, I set the expectations very clear up front. I let them know that it is a highly interactive course that they are expected to engage and that, you know, if they're just going to show up and sit and listen and not do anything, you know, to me, that's satisfactory work. That's, you know, you know, we're looking at an 80, 85, but if they're going to get engaged, then we're talking at, you know, earning the full 100 points. So what I like to do is with the students, start the discussion, throw out a question, let them think about it. And then generally I'll say something like, okay, who would like, to get this discussion started. And of course, uh, I have them raise their hands to do that. Uh, and sometimes there is five, 10 seconds where it's quiet, but then trust me, if you just give them that pause, the power of pause, those hands will go up and they go up a lot, a lot of hands go up. So um, then it just becomes allowing them to engage and discuss. I do keep a track sheet on my right side so I know who's participating and who's not. I do that for two reasons. One is when I see students are dominating the discussion, I try to avoid calling on them. I try to bring in people who haven't said anything. You know, like I may say, hey, Thomas, we haven't heard from you. Do you have uh, any ideas or do you have an opinion on a particular topic? To try to bring them in without necessarily calling on them. But I do that also so that they can feel part of the discussion. And the other thing I do is they get weekly feedback every week on how they're doing. So if they're not really engaged that first week, they're going to see in the grade book for that discussion question or whatever, they'll see an 80 or an 85. And I'll put feedback telling them, you know, you're a little quiet, need to be just a little bit more involved in the discussion. And I do that so that they can make changes in their behavior early on in the course versus just giving them, say, an 85 at the end of the course when it's all over. So I think it's important. And usually it only takes one week or so to kind of get them, uh, you know, to get engaged. 
Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. A lot of great strategies that I kind of want to go over. I love that you teach them how to use the Zoom reaction tools early on. I feel like that's a really inclusive way for you to kind of get that immediate reaction if they're kind of, you know, students sometimes are hesitant to speak up right away, but for you, you can kind of see, visually see that they are listening while still giving them those pauses that you talked about. Uh, Because from my days in the classroom as well, those long pauses can be intimidating, letting the students kind of just sit there and think, but we do have to kind of learn to be comfortable with those pauses because everybody does need time to formulate an opinion, but you're right. I think it's something really good to practice is being comfortable sitting in those pauses and students do eventually speak up and say something and then they start feeding off of each other. So I think that that is a really, really great strategy that you mentioned. I do want to say about the the video uh, because I know the university encourages and they really want students to use the video. My own approach is I let them know what the university policy is on the first night that you're encouraged to use the video. I make sure they have an operational video camera. I make sure that they put their video on. And then I encourage them to use their video. I don't, I'm not going to stop them from talking to make them turn on their microphone. Some students are comfortable with the video. Some students aren't comfortable with you having a video. So I just kind of leave that up to them. And it's, you know, it turns out sometimes about half the students will put their video on, half won't. To me, the video is not important. What's important is getting them to engage. That's, that's my approach as far as the video goes. Yeah, if they're there and you can hear them speaking and, you know, you're hearing their opinions and their input, I think that is what's most important. And those who want to turn it on can and those who don't, you know, as long as they're there and they're present, I think that's great. The other thing you mentioned, keeping a list of those people who are participating off to the side and making note of those who are participating a lot, those who aren't, and trying to include those ones who have kind of fallen back. I think that's a great way to kind of create this classroom community community and let them know that you really are paying attention and you really are listening to what they're saying, when they're saying it, who's saying what. And even if you're not necessarily calling them out in the session, but in those emails you're sending or those feedback meetings you're having with them, letting them know like, hey, you were, you've been a little quiet in discussion, you know, what's going on. I think that that probably goes such a long way in creating a community culture within your classroom. Yeah, and I do, you know, I know you can't see this, but I do keep a little list of their names. And it also helps me in each class uh, when I can see someone's real involved and someone's not involved. And, And I do let the students know. I said, hey, if you're really involved and I pass on you for another student, that's a good thing because you are being interactive, you are engaging, and I'm trying to get other people into the conversation. So I let them know, hey, don't, you know, please don't take it as something's wrong. If I don't call on you, take it that you are engaging. I'm trying to give everyone a chance. And people can easily adopt that, you know, printing out their rosters and just keeping quick tallies of who's participating and who's not. I think that's awesome. So how do you make the virtual discussions feel natural in that online environment? The questions are really how the questions are are framed and what the questions are about. So in the humanities class, that's pretty easy. There's just 
so many different topics, you know, talk about, you know, like, uh, you know, whether it's capital punishment or solitary confinement or modifying our DNA uh, to design children. What's wrong with that? In the marriage and family class, it might be talking about, hey, uh, what's the process you use to find, you know, if you're married uh, or you're, you have a partner, what was the process that you used to look for your partner? What were the traits that you were looking for? To have students to be able to share those kinds of things. You know, in the, in the leadership class, uh, again, uh, it's been a long time since I taught that. But the point is, is to have students take what's in the textbook, and then we start having them do a weekly journal, and then we discuss different aspects of their, you know, their leadership style in the class. You know, uh, what were some things that they do in the workplace that really worked well for them? What were some things that they've done that didn't work well for them? And I usually start by sharing that. And I will share when, you know, when I was in the Air Force, uh, what I did, uh, things that didn't work too well for me. And, uh, you know, so it's, again, it's a lot of give and take. There's, I think, a little bit of too much of an emphasis in my opinion opinion to do all the neat gadget type of stuff, do blogs, do this, have breakout groups. And I think there's a place for them. But what I find works best for me and my students is just the old fashioned Socratic method. Throw a question out there, let students start answering it, you let them interact with each other. And then I just play devil's advocate. You know, when students make certain statements, I, you know, I, I challenge them, but I do it very politely. You know, why is it that you see a situation in that light or that way? What, what makes you think that your idea of looking at an issue is correct, right, or better than someone else's? Is there something that you're missing? You know, and I do that with if there's 15 or if there's 25 students. Uh, I've tried breakout rooms. They work great. And I've tried other things. But uh, most of the feedback that I get on my end of course critiques, the students like having that open. I like the idea of having them journal and then kind of discussing their reflections and your focus on the topics and kind of like that question structure, making sure it's open-ended questions, making sure you're asking questions in a way that they can include aspects of their own life. You know, people love to talk about themselves. I think that's a great way to kind of include them and kind of get that, get them talking and speaking about it. I also love that you said that you talk about things that didn't work in your own experience um, because that makes students feel more comfortable sharing their experiences as well. And it's like, oh, my professor is here and he's had these challenges, these failures, these setbacks, um, makes them feel a little bit more comfortable to talk about those things themselves. Yeah. And, you know, just a couple other things I uh, mentioned that I do that I find that works real well with students. Uh, so for any major assignment that I have, I'm not talking about necessarily discussion questions, but for all the major assignments yeah. uh, that I have in the course, I have a, what I call an exemplar section. So, you know, in the modules uh, under my, my lecture handout notes for students, I have a section that's exemplar assignments. So, when a student has to do a current news event or if they have to do a video blog, what I do is I get the permission of students from previous classes who's turned in that A plus, who really 
fulfilled that assignment. I asked them, can I use your assignment? I, of course, give them the option if they want their name removed or not. Most of them, believe it or not, want their name on the assignment. Yeah. And then uh, I'll put that up as a resource. So when you get ready to do your current news event, look at that exemplar. See what the other student did. If you're going to do a video blog, this is what we mean by blogging and using graphics and stuff. For their research project, I put the research project up of other, other students so they can see exactly what it is. Even for a discussion question online, I'll let students know, hey, this is, the, this is an example of a question. And then here's some example of the interaction that occurs. And I've had a lot of students come back to me and tell me that that was very helpful as far as help them visualize what it is that I am looking for in a particular assignment so that they can, you know, so they can excel. And that's the only reason why I do it, because I do want to see all the students really do well. Yeah, setting the expectation early and often is very important for them. I just remember being a student and feeling really anxious, like, I don't know what they're expecting, you know, the rubrics there, but, you know, what does that really look like? And it always made me feel so much better when the expectation was set. Here's an example. Here's what an A looks like or a B looks like. So I think it's great that you set that expectation early for them. Yeah, yeah, and, and you mentioned the rubric, and just uh, as a side note, the rubrics aren't always clear, as you know. Uh, we yeah. like to make them clear, but for example, if it says you may use graphics, that's mm -hmm. not telling a student they have to use a graphic. And I'll have a student come back and say, well, it didn't say I had to, it said may. So when I can show them, did you look at the exemplar assignment, you'll see there were two assignments that other students have done that had graphics in those. Again, when you have those kinds of things in your course, it just kind of clarifies to your students what you're looking for and what they need to do to yeah. really do well. I think we've kind of touched on this, but if you have anything else to say, how do we? How are you including all student voices? Well, uh, again, what I do is I kind of keep track of who's playing or participating, who's not. And then I kind of look and I try to go after the person in a very gentle way to try to nudge them into the discussion. Sometimes, you know, if it's in an, if it's an online class, obviously that's usually all through feedback or I can ask them a direct question. If it's in an Eagle Vision class, uh, you know, I can just gently say, hey, we haven't heard from such and such. Or, for example, I may see 10 hands up. The person who hasn't really contributed yet, their hand might be number 10. So I just skip. I just go to him or her and I call on them because I know that if I don't call on them and if I wait to get through 10 hands, their hand's not going to be up. So again, by being able to keep track of who's participating and who's not, it's pretty easy to engage students. There's one final thing I, I, I did want to add in, in my courses. And I think it's an important one that some other instructors might find uh, helpful to them. So in all my courses, one of the last things I have is an announcement. And that announcement is a course announcement that helps the student extend the learning in the course beyond the course. In other words, when the course is finished. So I thought about that, and this happened early on, is like, you know, I'm, the students finish the course, everybody says goodbye, they move on their way. 
So how do I get the students to keep thinking about it? And so what I do is I will share with them in an announcement all the materials that I use to either prepare for my classes or to stay current in my classes. So I'll put up different books that I use, the different podcasts that I listen to, uh, the different news sites that I go to, the video blogs, uh, the websites, the professional articles, and I, and I kind of section them off, you know, books, podcasts, and stuff. And I put that up there, and they can easily download that. So if they found some things interesting in the course, and they want to follow up a month, two months, three months down the road, they have that document that they can refer to. And they say, yeah, I really like this discussion that we had on, you know, uh, altering our DNA. And, oh, here's his references. And so they can extend that learning uh, and not just shut it once the course is over and say, hey, we're done. So I think that's really important. Yeah, I think that's also very generous of you to provide them with, you know, open access to all of those materials. And that really does foster and encourage them to kind of be lifelong learners. You know, you've talked about all of these things and now they're interested, but it doesn't end here. You know, this discussion happens all the time. It's going to continue changing and evolving. And, you know, here's how I stay relevant. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I, I see no reason why I shouldn't share what I use. I mean, it's yeah. not like I'm giving them an edge or anything. It's but yeah. it's something that I do at the end. I don't do it at the beginning. I do it at the very end. Mm-hmm. You know, I say, hey, you know, it'd be great learning with you throughout the course. And, and then I say, here's something. If you want to extend your learning, uh, here's some resources that you can use. And I do check the downloads. And I would say at least half the students are downloading that document. From mm-hmm. me, you know. Going back to that question, how do you make space for all student voices? I also wanted to mention you had earlier in our discussion, you'd mentioned that you like to play devil's advocate. And I think that that goes a long way to including all student voices because you are making sure that all perspectives, all opinions, all sides of the argument are being kind of fleshed out within one discussion. And I think that helps students feel heard and feel seen and not feeling like, okay, this is just a biased discussion. We're all citing one way or the other, and it helps them think really critically. And again, as I've mentioned, I think helps that classroom community because it's bringing all of you guys together to discuss all of these different viewpoints. Yeah, and I've had students play play devil's advocate with me, which is great because it (laughs) makes me think critically about maybe some of the, my own beliefs, something that I shared with them. But I do try to make sure that it's always clear that I am not pushing my opinion, that my opinion and their opinion has just as much value, just as much validity. You know, I'm I'm not so much an expert as we're all experts and we're all, you know, we're all there to learn. So your students are really lucky to have a teacher like you who is willing to put in the time and effort to do that because it's not easy. It's not easy, but it's. Uh, the rewards are, are wonderful, not only for the students, but especially for me. Well, this has been great. I I really love all of the strategies you use. You're doing a great job. I think that everyone's going to find this really helpful and useful. And there are strategies in here that people can apply to their classrooms right away. So I really, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I wish you a great day. 
That's all we have for today, and thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you have any questions or even suggestions for topics you'd like to hear in the future, feel free to leave a comment below or send an email to rctle at erau.edu.